Hello, everyone. It is the Dr. Usher Ways In podcast. Thank you for joining us again today. It is wonderful to have you with us. Dr. Usher Ways In is a podcast where we talk about issues related to the problem of exorbitant healthcare cost and uh, exorbitant body weight among our populace. In other words, obesity and overweight, the scourge uh, that uh, is uh, causing so much suffering across the country. And uh, today I have the honor of being joined by a colleague of mine, uh, Dr. Nursing Practice, Nurse Practitioner, uh, Christina Funk. Christina, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here and chat a little bit with you in this uh, uh, different uh, venue setting type of Situation. Yeah, right. We don't usually have headphones on when we talk. <laughs> yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, this is um, uh, Christina is uh, a nurse practitioner with us and is our director of medical weight loss services. So, what I would like to do, uh, Christina, if you would, is uh, give us a brief introduction to yourself and your experience and how you got here and and um, what you professionally have done and so forth, just to kind of give our listeners uh, an idea of your background and and how you've come to do what you do. Right. right. Um, so currently I'm practicing as a nurse practitioner. I'm the director of our obesity medicine program here, but my roots really lie in being a nurse. My background as an RN, I think, informs a lot of what I do now. So um I was born and raised in Fargo, North Dakota, and I ended up um, going to school at North Dakota State University. That's where I got my BSN initially. Um, our family moved out east for a couple years, came back to the Midwest, where I then um, pursued my master's in nursing and um, practiced a little bit in a just small minute clinic type of setting while also um, I was an instructor of nursing at Chippewa Valley Technical College for a couple of years. And at that time, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do with my nurse practitioner degree and career. I enjoyed teaching and working with nursing students, but um, I also knew that there was a part of me that wanted to do more with my practice um, and get into that a little bit more. So um, around that time, there was a a Wisconsin-based grant put out for practicing nurse practitioners to go back to school and get their doctorate. And so that intrigued me because education has always um, been important to me. And, you know, pursuing that terminal degree of doctor of nursing practice was something that I had thought I might do down the road. Not quite at that time. We were busy. We have four kids now. And I think at that time I was, you know, I can't even remember the the time frame. All runs was, together. Yeah, it all <laughs> runs together. But I think I was just had had a baby, our last baby, or pregnant or something, and I was. It felt like the wrong time, but also this opportunity came up, so I pursued it and ended up getting my um, nursing practice doctorate. And the reason that's relevant because through that, I stepped away from teaching, and um, well, met you. Uh, that kind of fell into our laps a little bit too. At that time, I was figuring out. Um, my doctoral um, project and DMP capstone, and at the time I thought, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go off on my own because I'm very independent, and um, the idea was I might collaborate to do pre-op physicals for a friend of mine who owned an independent practice doing um, vision surgery and eye surgery, an ophthalmologist, and as it was, as you know. 
I think you two ran into each other at a gas station (laughs) and my name came up and um, I thought that was quite interesting too when he said, hey, I know this physician, he's doing this cool thing, you guys should meet up. And so I said, why not? I usually don't say no to opportunities. I just like to pursue it all and then see where things settle out. So as you know, we met, we started chatting and I was extremely intrigued with what you had started doing here um, with the cash pay and helping the community and serving the community in this way. Um, and I thought, you know, I could I could see myself pivoting a little bit here from what I initially set out to do. Um, I didn't know if we were doing an interview at the time, but at, I think after that meeting, you reached out and said, hey, why don't you come work here with us? That's how I remember it playing out. Correct me. No, well, I could <laughs> You be. remember it differently, but um, yeah. And then I thought, well, all right. So we, I came and shadowed here a little bit and, you know, it just continued to pique my interest. What, um, what we do here for patients to fill that gap of for people who don't have insurance or if they do have insurance with extremely high deductibles and Wow, being transparent in healthcare, like that's a pretty novel thing. Right, post your prices online and put them in the walls in your exam room so everybody can see them. Right, and then, you know... And not surprise them with some other bill at the end of the month. Exactly, and that was new to me, but really I think speaks to some of my core values. I, I really value being transparent. For better or for worse, you know. <laughs> As you know me, um, we've been working together honesty, seven so. years. So, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so like I said, I pivoted from that original idea and thought, well, if I'm gonna have this job opportunity, why don't I pursue that for a bit and see where it goes? And seven years later, here I am. Here we are. Yeah. Um, so your role as as uh, director of the obesity medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me about that. What that's been like, and um, how, do you do you see mostly these patients, mm-hmm. and what kind of outcomes you see? I mean, just talk about that practice some. Right. Yeah. Um, well, initially, when I started working with you, that was when I was first introduced to this idea of obesity medicine as a specialty. Um, And I still consider it, seven years later, an emerging medical specialty. A lot of people realize when they're having chest pain or heart issues, they're going to see a cardiologist. But it's not as well known that when you're having metabolic health issues and you're dealing with the health issue of overweight or obesity, there are specialists out there like you and I who can really focus on that. Um, And so that you know, really opened up my eyes to this specialty. And so I just dove in two feet first. Um, You and I have had many iterations of our medical weight loss program over the years, and it's been extremely rewarding to be a part of that, um, developing um, new processes and new approaches and um, building kind of what we know works to where it is today. So that's been extremely rewarding and mostly because of what we see in our patients. Like you said, outcomes. Um, Our approach is extremely effective and I just, I tell patients all the time, many medical weight loss approaches or nutritional treatment plans can work 
but I'm extremely biased about what we do because we just see it works so well. And it's not just about weight loss. I often tell patients that I wish we called it a metabolic health optimization program, but that's not as catchy (laughs) and it's not as clear. And we talked about transparencies. Like we want to be really clear about what we do, you know, metabolic health. It's kind of this nebulous term for a lot of people who might When you talk about metabolic health, what are you talking about? Right, exactly. So improving um, multiple chronic health issues such as high blood pressure, diabetes, fatty liver disease. Um, We can even improve the efficiency of thyroid function through the nutritional um, recommendations that we're making. Um, Because, again, it's not just about weight loss, but um, optimizing your immune system and your metabolic function. It's... almost resets that metabolism in a way that improves so many things. Cholesterol, I don't think I mentioned that either. Um, but almost any health condition. Right. So good cholesterol. Triglycerides probably the most important right. number that's been undersold for forty or fifty mm-hmm. years because of statin drugs, right? Adorbostat, Lipitor mm-hmm. and all these brand name drugs that everybody's heard of. The target is LDL. Exactly. But the, probably the bigger risk factor of heart disease is, is a, a, a high triglycerides. Right. And that's, we're, we're starting to tumble to that mm-hmm. fact now. And and that is, I call it a dashboard. Mm-hmm. I will talk to my patients. I'll say, you know, you know, you're not diabetic and your blood pressure is kind of borderline. And you, there's nothing here that by traditional medical standards says you need a drug for this or a drug for that or a drug for this. But if I was driving down the highway and I had six lights on on my dashboard that weren't supposed to be there, I'd want to ask the question, okay, what's wrong? Mm-hmm. What's wrong here? And and those dashboard lights would be right. like triglycerides and, you know, upper end blood pressure. And those are the metabolic syndrome findings, right? right the things exactly. that define metabolic syndrome. Yeah. So I think a lot of people could take what we do nutritionally and implement it and be successful. But what we do takes one step further, we evaluate that underlying metabolic health and we can medically treat some of those things alongside the nutritional changes to really optimize all of that. And the biggest thing too is prevention. So when you see those things, are we just, you know, I think in standard medical practice and care, you're just basically waiting for it to progress to, okay, now you finally met this number, we can start you on this medication why not address it before it gets to that point where you're formally diagnosed with diabetes or hypertension? There's so many things that we can do out there. Um, and that's another passion of mine too, we haven't even touched on yet, is really educating other clinicians about obesity medicine and metabolic health as it relates to nutrition. So I've been involved in a lot that way too with um, collaborating as a subject matter expert with um a pharmaceutical company. I've done presentations through the AANP and AAPA. Um, I'm really involved in our national organization, the Obesity Medicine Association, serving on multiple committees. Um, I was part of that kind of core group um, years ago that put together a special certification for um, advanced practice clinicians, um, non-physicians. There is a board certification for physicians, but at the time, nothing to really um, show the advanced edu- and recognize and the advanced um, education that AAP or PAs and NPs can have in this field. So, so I've done a lot that way. I feel like um, you know standard medical schools and nurse practitioner and PA schools are not teaching you know how to treat this health issue. So, so they're left without 
effective tools other than what they've always been told about the food pyramid and counting calories and all those things I now tell my patients, you know, counting calories is like a four-letter word in my exam room. We don't discuss <laughs> that. It's not an effective strategy, and it's, it doesn't have to be that hard either. That's the other thing that is so rewarding when a patient comes in after just... So we see our patients monthly, right? So even just month one, they come back in and say, this is a lot easier than I thought. I just didn't know. I mean, there's just the information... It's like a ping pong ball or one of those games where the ball's bouncing off all the walls. You're just all this information about nutrition is everywhere and you don't know where to focus. And um, our patients are just constantly bombarded with misinformation about nutrition. And and at the end of the day, it just it can it can be boiled down to some just really simple facts about how different macronutrients affect our metabolism. And it's you know a calorie is not a calorie because the quality of the food content affects your body differently your cells respond differently people like to say to oh calories calorie yeah exactly mm-hmm. right and so that's why i say it's a four-letter word in my exam room because we we don't want to boil it down to just that it's a, it, it's yeah. a it, it seems like that would be a simple solution but mm-hmm. it just hasn't been if right. that were a simple solution uh, as we talked about in my last podcast with Chris, the health coach, if that were a simple solution, we wouldn't have this exploding obesity problem in this country, right? Mm-hmm. 42% or more of the population now has obesity. In our area of western Wisconsin, I you can, uh, through a University of Wisconsin thing, uh, Atlas, you can go in and look at different zip codes. Right. And they will tell you what the obesity rate is by zip codes. Mm-hmm. And around western Wisconsin, we have obesity rates in some zip codes over 60%. And is that including overweight and obesity? No, that's or just, just obesity. Okay, right. So when you start putting in overweight and obesity, mm-hmm. right, we want to treat overweight before it progresses to obesity, just like we were talking about earlier. Those numbers are... It's astronomical. Astronomical. Yeah. It's yeah. a... It's a it's a pandemic. Exactly. Uh, it's a pan pandemic. I mean, it is like uber pandemic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's been going on and it's getting worse. Right. Um, probably what several hundred thousand people a die, a die a year in this country as a downstream effect of their obesity, mm-hmm. you know, which is tragic. Um, great. So you started here seven years ago. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, and since then, of course, reform medicine has grown. And what has been our approach? Talk about our approach with bringing on new providers and trying to get them to see what we see and be part of that medical weight loss practice. Yeah. So um, sometimes it seems like we're trying to um, provide education and training to all of our new our new providers on what we do. And I feel like it doesn't take a lot to get them to drink our theoretical uh, sugar-free Kool-Aid. <laughs> it's like I talk, I like to refer to it as um, really just getting that buy-in of what we do. Um, it doesn't take long because they see the outcomes immediately. You know, it doesn't take more than a visit or two with one of our patients for them to see the the results they've had, not only in their weight loss, but also, again, all those metabolic parameters that we've seen. Um, and you just can't deny that clinical evidence that and you that, see right in front of you. And we have that data. Right. Yeah. Right. And so um, 
It's extremely effective. And patients, you know, like I said, they come they come back on month one visit and they say, this is a lot easier than I thought it would be. I think there's so much misinformation about what we do, which is a ketogenic approach. And I think the word ketogenic just comes with so much stigma around it. But what we're doing is we're advising people to eat whole real food. We just are saying, step away from the processed foods that the standard American diet is just shoving in our faces. Eat some whole real food, drink lots of water, you know, um, let go of the notion that fat makes you fat. Um, fat is an essential nutrient. Um, and so, yeah, and we're designed to burn fat. Exactly. Right? That's right? what we're really. That's like, our, get back to that's the, our premium gasoline. The core of how we were designed to fuel ourselves. Um, and so it's like I said, it's easy for providers to see that. And so we encourage them to, depending on their level of background, you know, in family practice, you could, they they often come in and say, "Yep, I know this is an issue, but maybe I haven't." really had a good approach to treat it before or all I was ever told, you know, we didn't learn this in medical school or all I was ever told was, you know, counting calories and exercising. But again, we've spoken to that point. It's not worked for decades. How much time do you spend talking to your patients about exercise? I feel like I neglect this sometimes, but it's really a low priority. Often patients just start to decide to move more. Once they've adjusted their nutrition, they are seeing some success with weight reduction and they just start to have more energy and they just start to feel like moving more and often patients just kind of self-select into more exercise before I even have had the chance to say okay let's start building that in because um, my my mantra around that is generally that exercise is not effective for weight loss but it is effective for weight maintenance and in particularly muscle building and strength um, bearing type of exercises to maintain that muscle mass is going to be really helpful in ma- weight maintenance. And so resistance right. training is exactly. every bit as uh, important as you know cardio, mm-hmm. right? And I would actually even say more Probably important, more so. and particularly for the large group of the population that we see, um, women over 40, 50s, 60s, um, where it's just natural that they're going to see a decline in their muscle mass. Um, focusing on that, you know, if you have... 15 minutes, two or three times a week, instead of going for a walk, do some push-ups, sit-ups, squats, lunges, if you're able to work with a physical therapist if you have prior injuries. But I think that is more effective than than the cardio. Although I will say, do what you enjoy, number one. Right. If you we, want we move your to, body. Exercise in my world yeah. is a f- actually a four-letter four word okay. uh, in my exam room as yeah. well. Uh, I like the term therapeutic movement. Mm-hmm. Yep. Do, do what something you enjoy. that is therapeutic for you, that feels good, mm-hmm. you're glad you did it, you're glad when you're doing it. Mm-hmm. Exercise, maybe you're glad you did it, but you hate it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> People, they don't want to be yeah. told to exercise. Yeah. That's, that's not what they want to hear. It's a major chore. There's a... Um, one of the things that you've mentioned is they come back after a month and they're they're feeling better. You know, obviously their weight is down usually a lot mm-hmm. um, in that um, in that first month. But it doesn't take them a month to feel better. It's it's not right. like it's not the weight that keeps them feeling lousy, right? I mean, there are like two hundred diseases that flow out of 
uh, the obesogenic lifestyle, let's mm-hmm. call it. And so when you change that lifestyle, you can get some things that will turn around really quickly, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I have some patients, you know, early 70s who immediately will come back and say, I don't have joint pain anymore. I'm not waking up and just hard to get out of bed, aching, creaking. That's just all gone away. Because like you said, even before a significant amount of weight loss has occurred, they've reduced the inflammation in their body just by correcting their nutrition. And that itself, even multiple inflammatory disease processes and symptoms can be improved. Um, Sometimes I treat patients with this same nutritional approach, even if they're not in our weight loss program, Mm -hmm. for irritable bowel and migraine and, you know, inflammatory things that, you know, once you get that inflammation down, this is, you know, I've got a patient I just saw the other day and she's been with us for a couple of years now and has not had a single migraine. Her weight has gone up or down, but her core nutritional habits have changed enough to the point where, you know, essentially it's keeping your blood sugars stable with the intake of protein and fat instead of the carbohydrates. Um, so you reduce kind of the, whatever inflammatory vascular thing going on in the brain. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because uh, I thought that that there would be something to that. My experience is the same thing. You take people on our program who have migraines and their migraines will just go away, mm-hmm. virtually go away. Um, for years and years, we've known if you treat seizure disorders in kids, it'd be like the last thing they would do. They would throw drug after drug right. after drug. After yeah. If nothing else is working, well, we'll put them on a ketogenic diet. Right. And then they control their seizures. Right. Well, why not lead with that? Yeah, <laughs> no. exactly. Um, because but I also, think, why know, was there only research done on the ketogenic diet and seizures? I mean, you're right. That data has been around for decades. I want right. to just maybe throw a number out there, like 40 years yeah, or more. Or more that it's been a medical known treatment, this nutrition of seizures, but so many other inflammatory conditions. So I don't know where, what the answer is to that. Why right. isn't there more research on it? Because there's no money in it. So effective. The answer well, there is because go. there's no money in it. I guess. Yep. You hit the yeah. nail. Follow on the, that. follow the money trail. Yep. Uh, acne, asthma. Yeah. Think mm-hmm. of all these things, right. for really expensive treatments, you know, the acne, Accutane mm-hmm. and all the things that people splash on their face and, uh, asthma inhalers, everybody mm-hmm. complains about that. Of course, there's insulin that everybody knows is really expensive. Mm-hmm. If you can get people on the right diet, whole food, mm-hmm. grocery store mm-hmm. food, and eliminate the need for those expensive drugs, yeah, well, I those get drug really, companies aren't going to be right. financing those studies. Exactly, yeah. Right. Yeah. I get really excited when a patient is on board with trialing nutrition instead of medication first. I just diagnosed... Oh. A patient with new onset diabetes yesterday, unfortunately. Um, but he was like, you know, we talked a little bit about medication options, nutrition options, doing those in combination. And he was just all ready to go on, let's do the nutrition first. Is it okay if we don't take this medication? Mm-hmm. And I said, absolutely. Let's try this and see where we can get with it because I am so confident with what I've seen already with clinical outcomes over the last seven years that we're going to get this under control with nutrition only. And if we don't, we have medication options. Always go You'll to be drugs. On, yep, but, and, and you may just not have to be on the higher end of dosing with them. Um, that's the other thing, too. You know, we, with this, we get a lot of patients who come in on 8, 10, 12 drugs, and we can at least reduce dosing, if not completely get them off medications um, for high blood pressure, 
I have a lot of people who have side effects from statins. You know, I don't generally put people on a statin unless I really feel like it's um, kind of our last resort or they're at a higher risk. Um, but a lot of people have side effects and they don't want to be on their statin. And so if I'm confident that they can implement and will be or have been implementing this nutritional approach, I say, yeah, let's just trial it for three months and see where things settle out with your cholesterol. Um, a lot of times we can get it better managed than we thought. Or some, Sometimes our patients are on medications that actually promote weight gain. Mm. Yep. So that's kind of goes back to the gap in education of medical providers. And um, you're concurrently treating um, high blood pressure, um, maybe some mental health disorders and things like that. And you know your patient also has overweight and obesity, but you were never told to consider, you know, this drug is going to contribute to that. Or um, maybe we could swap this, you know, maybe you use a drug in the same category that is less obesogenic than the other. And to just have that moment of consideration when you're choosing how to treat a patient um, that's missing, I think, for a lot of people because, and it's not their fault, right? You go to your regular doctor, they have been taught this certain approach, and and it works and for them. They've used it, it for works, years, right? right. Mm -hmm. But I think that things are shifting to a point where we just we need to educate clinicians so that they can make more informed decisions, helping patients. Um, from an approach that's going to treat all of the health issues. So yeah, we did. A lot of people come in and we'll do that. We'll just look at their med list and say, you know what, we should continue to treat this with medication, but this would be a better drug to try. Or you know what, we're going to be doing this nutritional treatment plan, which is going to improve your high blood pressure anyway. So let's monitor that and slowly, you know, reduce your dosing and see how things go. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there's a lot of options, but. Can yeah. people reverse their diabetes through diet? Absolutely. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. That's probably one of my most favorite things to do for patients. What's the biggest drop you've seen in hemoglobin A1C yeah, just off, with nutrition? Right. Off the top of my head, I want to say probably from 11% just in a few months down to like 8 or 7% with mm -hmm. just consistently improving down to normal where... What I like to say is then their diabetes is in remission. Right. So, right, we're not technically curing them, but it's in remission, and we can keep it there with diet alone. For, yeah, for years. I, yeah. I have a 60-something-year-old uh, guy who came into me, this is now a few years ago, which actually is fun because I've been able to follow him over that time. He came in not feeling quite right and a really active dude, uh, you know, at, at that age still playing hockey and such. Mm -hmm. Um and just wasn't feeling well. We kind of worked him up and found that his hemoglobin A1C was 14.6. Yikes. And um, I had the the talk mm -hmm. about uh, carbs in the diet and so forth. Uh, not He was some overweight, but not wouldn't have come in for our mm -hmm. weight loss program. Uh, three months later, I saw him. He had lost 20 pounds, was feeling like a new person, but his A1C had dropped all the way down to uh, less than seven. Wow! In three months. Wow! S at six months, he was down to mid fives, five point mm -hmm. five. For people who don't know, hemoglobin A1C is a way of monitoring blood sugar levels over time, and um, normal is less than five point seven, and um, 
5.7 to 6.4 is considered pre-diabetes. Anything over 6 is 6.5 is considered diabetes. Yeah. So 14 is right. about as high as you ever see. I've right. seen a 16 maybe once Yikes. in my life. But 14 is pretty high. We like yeah. to catch people before that, but but we don't always. Sometimes you get these sleeper folks mm-hmm. who feel fine. They don't come to the doctor and don't get screened. So to get to a 14, you have to have been diabetic for a long time, yeah. right? So we take this person, um, changes dietary intake, and and in three months, I mean, six months, he's right. put his diabetes in remission. Mm-hmm. And now I've been seeing him for year, year yeah. over year after that, just annual checkups, and yep. he's managed to keep it below 6.5. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, just with diet. Right. So right. he's been in remission now for three or four years. And that's why we're so passionate about, you know, taking each patient as an individual and helping them. You know, right. there's, it can be really overwhelming thinking about the standard American diet and yeah. all of the systemic changes that need to be made to literally an act of Congress. Right. Exactly. Literally. Um, and so it feels overwhelming. We're just stuck in this place, but we get to help one patient at a time and, um, it works and it's it's really rewarding and people's lives are changed. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine this one individual I'm talking about in the standard world, oh. oh, that guy would have been on insulin so fast it would have made your head swim. Right. They'd stop the clinic mm. and call in the endocrinologist. Start an insulin drip and get this guy uh, start on counting the shots. carbs so we know how much insulin to give to him. Right, right. Or don't drive up your blood sugar with your nutrition. Right. And then you won't need that insulin. Cure your disease by not by eliminating right. the toxin. Right. Right. I gave a talk once, uh, and I know we're running out of time, but I'll just be quick. Um, I gave a talk to a bunch of clinicians in the room and um, I was talking about how we can lower insulin doses and we can get people off their insulin and I had someone raise their hand and they were just appalled that you would stop their insulin and I was just simply, (laughs) well, if their blood sugars don't require it, then you really shouldn't be giving it right? right. because that's unsafe, right? But it's not to again, mention unethical. Exactly, but. it's like uh, you're almost doing. It's almost malpractice to think that you would stop someone's insulin, but if their blood sugars don't require it, based off their nutritional intake. Yeah, to me, it's malpractice it's, to treat type two like diabetes magic. with insulin. Really, I agree. These I days, agree. especially. Yep. Without a low carb diet to start right, with. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. So. So okay. there's that. But yeah. Yeah, it's a it's an exciting world. There's lots of potential out there for us, isn't there? Yeah, lots we'll of, be busy lots of for the for rest of our lives, I think. So, <laughs> well, I appreciate Christina, you're taking the time to come visit with us today and join our podcast. I hope our listeners have uh, enjoyed hearing from you and your expertise. And I know I have. I always do. Thank you for being with us for seven years. I hope we'll see, have you for seven more, uh, and or more. And uh, that's it for Dr. Usher weighs in today.